whatever spread I want to create. I'm going to offer the owner probably 2000 or a little less on that, probably 1700 And it's going to be principal only. So I'm going to pay him towards that half a million. I'm going to pay him 1700 a month principal only. And of course, when we exit, I'm going to collect that plus. But that's how we structure most of our own financing deals. I brought that to the owner of my building. And of course, he's conventional real estate, owns a lot of land and said to me, no, 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 I want five and a half percent interest. That's when rates were really low too. And so long story short, I structured, so we both win. You got to, it's got to be a win-win or it's going to be an ugly deal. I structured where for about 18 months, I think it was, I did principal only payments. So I hammered down my 550 purchase price. I think I got that balance down to about 490, 480 maybe. And then at that point I paid him, we amortized the balance and I gave him 5.2% interest. And in hindsight, I'm super glad I did because commercial rates are even higher than residential now and I got a good situation. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. Welcome back to Ice Cream with Investors. I'm your host, Matt Four, and today I'm super excited to have Chris Prefontaine on the show. Chris is a three-time best-selling author, co-founder of the Smart Real Estate Coach, and host of the podcast, Smart Real Estate Coach Podcast. He's been in the business for over 30 years, starting as in construction, owning a realty executive franchise, and now he's running his own investments, commercial and residential across North America. During the 2008 crash, Chris reorganized and re-energized his entire business to weather all storms. And this is a topic I'm super excited to have and talk about right now as we enter the late half of 2022 here. Chris, I'm just going to stop right there and say, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to diving in and hopefully as we chat, we'll share some nuggets here. Absolutely. Well, we like to start with the difficult questions here. What's your favorite ice cream? Yeah, I should have known you were going to do that. I don't need ice cream anymore, but I can tell you emphatically what my favorite was, coffee. Coffee. You're the second person to say that, and I love a good coffee ice cream. Oh, amazing. (laughs) Do you have any favorites up in the Boston area there? No, I just haven't. I literally haven't in years. I've been good. But in my younger years where it didn't matter, I would always have coffee. And uh, it's been a while, so I I couldn't direct it. (laughs) So I love it. Yeah, I love it. Well, tell our listeners, what's the scoop? What do you do today? Today, and this is interesting because every year it's different, right? But today I run the property still with my son and son-in-law, meaning we have our own properties. We buy and sell every week, just like we teach. I think it's super important to keep our finger on the pulse. A and B, I'm never bored, as I said to you, because creative financing, is it's always different. It might look the same, but it's always different. So I do that. And then we also run, I am more of a CEO role now for the Smart Real Estate Coach, but... I coach the high-end students still. I love doing deals. I love helping them. So when I say higher-end, we have levels, right, of involvement. And the ones that are the most serious and committed, I work with personally. I love it. I love it. Well, before we get into buying real estate on your own terms, take us back and where'd your real estate journey begin? Well, I won't go too far back. It's 31 years, right? But I, my dad owned a business that I grew up in, but it wasn't real estate. It was welding supplies and industrial gases. He was like the largest in New England. But the connection to real estate is twofold. One, he would build his own buildings, brick and mortar. And then as a little kid, I remember him telling me that he would lease them back to himself. And I'm thinking, you're the company. Like, I didn't get it. Now, of course, I get it. So he very carefully uh, did those buildings and leased them to his own company. And then he would hang out with people that on the side of their businesses, flip land, develop land, you know, different avenues of real estate. So that got me exposed, so to speak. And then nothing to do with political because in the 80s, 
Trump wasn't a name, right? But in the 80s, I read his book out of the deal. And I just, I was intrigued from 80s until I started in like officially 90, 91. Gotcha. Did he own real estate as well beyond just leasing it back to himself? Did he do any of the development of land? He would hire a GC to do it. Then he would like literally, you know, old school things that I do now. He would look at, he'd find a piece of raw land, like across from his building, across the pond, he found a piece of raw land, knocked on the door, tied up the land, then engineered it. Once it got all engineered for subdivision, he'd sell it to a builder because he didn't want to do a lot of that stuff. You know, so I've done that over the years too. It's just, he was always doing different things and, and intrigued by it. Yeah. Do you remember your first deal? Oh, yeah. Yeah, my first deal was uh, with a partner that th- I met through him, a son of someone I met through him. And I was on a golf course, and it was a split-level home that could be subdivided. And that was where I was comfortable because I saw him do it. So I subdivided the land, built a duplex on the new lot, sold each side of it as condos. And then we kept the house for about, I don't know, four or five years with the current renter staying in there. And then we sold that off. That was a shitty time though. So it wasn't like the house part we didn't make much money with, but the subdividing and the building and all that obviously made the deal worth it. We also logged the lot. Someone came and paid us cash to take certain wood out of there. I learned that back then too. So that was kind of cool. That's interesting. I was out in Oregon recently and obviously there's a huge timber business out there, but I don't know anything about that. Was it a pretty big lot or was it just a couple of rare pieces of wood that they wanted? Not a huge lot, but I think it was like an acre or two, but there was enough hardwood or whatever the hell they call it, you know, what type they like, but they were the bigger trees. And yeah. then they have to file a plan of the town and, you know, carefully take out that and preserve it, you know, so that it was good. I think if I remember, I was young, my kids were just being born. I think maybe we got 14, 1500 cash or two grand cash to me. I was like, oh, that's a windfall. I didn't know I was going to get that out of the woods. So it was fine. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. Well, let's transition into creative finance, because I think you're the master of buying on your own terms and all the different ways that you can structure financing deals or terms to a deal. First of all, can you help our listeners understand what is creative financing? Yeah. When we say terms, that's all we mean to your point, creative financing. For us, it means no banks. It means no signing personally on loans. I learned that the hard way after the OE crash. It means no borrowing from investors. And I know some listeners may be okay with that. They call it syndication. They go out and they, they raise money. I don't want to go sleep at night knowing I got money out there like that. So I don't do that anymore. And so the terms to us means lease purchase is one way we buy. Another way is owner financing, where the owner just is the bank and there's no, there's no loan involved for the real bank, conventional bank. And third is subject to existing financing. They call it sub two. That means I buy your home, you're on the loan, you need debt relief, and you just want to deed it over. One, owner financing, usually free and clear, no mortgage, very well off financially. Sub two, complete opposite. I need help, please take my home. Like completely opposite conversations. Gotcha. So let's break each one of those down. Owner finance, sale of finance. I run this strategy a lot when I was looking at markets in a tertiary market near where I live in Nashville. Because what I found is that in the 80s, they built a bunch of like a street of duplexes and basically one person owned a ball and they owned them all free and clear. And I figured that those people would be, you know, later in their careers, still want the annuity payments, still want some kind of cash flow, but wants to get Mm. rid of the responsibility. Where are you seeing that play out in your market? And then how do you even approach a seller to have that conversation? Uh, Two different ways. They are the most lucrative. So I'm glad you started it. These owner financing, I'll give you metrics in a minute, but two different ways. One, we have virtual assistants calling expired listings for sale by owner listings and for rent by owner listings. And in doing that, 
we on occasion on accident run into a seller who is free and clear. That's just luck of the draw. Then if a student, or in our case we do, want more leads than those will provide, we will buy lists. You can do it online now with with the program we have of free and clear properties. And just for a little context for everybody, free and clear properties make up a third, about a third of the properties in the United States. That's an enormous number. Now, this is fun because they're usually not on the market. They usually don't need the money right away. And therefore they usually are great candidates for giving you the term you want in years. Our office building, Matt, I'm not there today, I'm at my home office, but my office building right down the street from here, five minutes, was bought on a financing. It's a mixed use building. So I have other tenants in there. And I don't know if you've ever been through a commercial loan process for the listeners I'm talking to, but it's grueling. And I didn't have to do that. I sat in what is my office now. I spoke to the gentleman who was about 70. He's the largest landowner in the area. He's not new to real estate. And we structured an owner financing deal for 20 years. That's pretty cool. And we did it in minutes. And I didn't have to go through the underwriting that the bank causes so much stress over. It's just insane what they put people through. Yes. And part of my story is I was tired of going to those banks and getting those loans. I hit my 10 Fannie and Freddie limit and I started looking into creative finance one because I love this idea of structuring a deal and creating different terms to make it beneficial for everybody. But two, I was tired of sending literally gigabytes of data just to get a freaking loan approved or denied by some checkbox. Yeah. And I very rarely will do it unless it's for personal residence. And when I went through one for my personal residence, I, where I'm sitting right now talking to was a little cottage. I tore it down and then I, I built this house, mostly cash. When I bought the first house, my wife said to me, what do, what do other people do who are in real estate, not in real estate? What do they do? Because I was stressed and I know what the hell I'm doing with it. So I knew everything. I know how to work the credit. I know everything. And it was just a, a waste. And so, I, yeah, I don't think anyone should ever go through that pain. Not worth it. When you're looking at seller finance, are you looking strictly for commercial, strictly for residential, or are you just looking for strictly paid off and using that as a lead? Yeah, well, usually I teach and I do most of single families. And that's just because I don't want to teach all the different shiny objects that you can buy creatively. You and I know you can buy boats, planes, cars, with own financing, like it's done every day. Especially the wealthier people are, the more savvy, they do it. It's what they do. They hate banks. So it's a very broad statement, I know, so I don't need to step on toes, but single family is what we teach. And then as the students, mainly the ones that work with me, get a little bit more advanced, then I start saying, like just on a coaching call yesterday, one of my coaches said, can you help me move from this basic model where I create three paydays every deal and I do single families, can you show me how to do a few multis and keep them and still do them on terms without banks? I said, sure. I sent them my whole campaign and everything. So there's more advanced techniques, but by and large, we stay with single families as a base model. Gotcha. Gotcha. You mentioned, I've heard you say that you structure these as principal only payments for the seller in most situations versus giving principal and interest. How does that work? And talk us through that. Yep. And then I'll tell you a hybrid way that I had to do my building. So most single families, we structure principal only. So let's just say the house is a half a million. I'm going to figure out what a buyer would perceive a mortgage payment to be on that. Let's just say a buyer would perceive that to be a 6%, I don't know. $2,700. I'm making that up. I would go to the owner and say, look, my buyer's going to kind of have that mindset. That's who I deal with, who need time, buyers who need time. So I need to be somewhere around 2000 or whatever spread I want to create. I'm going to offer the owner probably 2000 or a little less than that, probably 1700. And it's going to be principal only. So I'm going to pay him towards that half a million. I'm going to pay him 1700 a month principal only. And of course, when we exit, I'm going to collect that plus, but 
That's how we structure most of our own financing deals. I brought that to the owner of my building. And of course, he's conventional real estate, owns a lot of land and said to me, no, 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 I want five and a half percent interest. That's when rates were really low too. And so long story short, I structured, so we both win. You got It's gonna be a win-winner, it's gonna be an ugly deal. I structured where for about 18 months, I think it was, I did principal only payments. So I hammered down my 550 purchase price. I think I got that balance down to about 490, 480 maybe. And then at that point, I paid him, we amortized the balance and I gave him 5.2% interest. And in hindsight, I'm super glad I did because commercial rates are even higher than residential now. And I got a good situation. Was he trying to, I thought you were going to take that down the path of saying that like when you make money on interest, you have to pay income tax versus principal. It can be written off as uh, capital gains and things like that. Is that why you do that? Or is it because of the amortization and doing the math gets a little funky? It's not the, the math. Well, the math does, but I don't care. You're right, but I don't care about it. It's just every owner is different. Like this guy was dead set on a paycheck for his wife and son. And maybe he knew something was up because he since passed. Like well, this last year, he passed away, sadly. And his wife's getting a nice check. And she asked me the same as him. Could you please not pay it off? Like they don't want to be paid out. Some of these people, they do it for planning reasons. So I just, my selling point sometimes, Matt, yeah, might be, hey, you don't have to take the time to report that small interest income and we're going to pay your principal only. We're going to up the price, but it doesn't always fly. So he was yeah. savvy enough to say, no, I want my interest because, you know, it's it's a good amount. Five and a half is still a good amount on that kind of money. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. I don't want to breeze over the other two points. So there's subject to and lease back. Let's start with subject to, because I think this is a super interesting strategy as we go into uh, looks like choppy waters in 2023. So first of all, could you define what subject to is for our listeners? Yeah, you're spot on. I'll tell you why. It's an amazing opportunity right now. So subject to means completely different from that owner financing deal where they're, where they're set up well and they just want to create a, nice, a neat deal. I'll give you an example to, to define it. It's best. So a couple is getting divorced down Cape Cod, resort area near us. They have a loan in place and they need out. They're fighting. They have skipped the last two mortgage payments and they want out or they let the bank foreclose on it and it screws up their credit in their life for two years. So we bought the property immediately. We caught up arrears. It was like 4,100 bucks. No, not a big deal. When I say we bought it, subject to means their loan stayed in place. It means subject to that existing loan. So if anyone's ever bought a home, they go get a settlement statement. Your bank loans you money. That new money that is loaned shows up on the settlement statement. It's your, your money you put in, the bank's money. On ours, it just says subject to existing loan with in the bank name and the amount due. And then in that case, we didn't give any on anything on top of that. So we bought that house. The loan is now and will forever stay in the seller's name. Both of the guarantors, the wife and the husband who just wanted debt relief. That's a subject to is. Now, why is it an amazing opportunity right now? Amazing. I'm screaming this from rooftops as the media stupidly is telling people it's a bad time. No, it's the best time to be in real estate. So we're acquiring loans right now. I just did a deal in New Jersey with a student, Morris. He brought me this deal. The underlying loan is 3.1%. 3.1. We're going to take that loan over. It's 267 grand. The house is worth like 350. She's got it. She needs debt relief. So from COVID, you have this amazing run up for nine years up to COVID. People have all this equity and sadly, they're going to lose it. And instead of us trying to steal it or mark the credit up, we're saving the credit by taking that over. The banks want to foreclose on and screw them up for two years. And now, so now we're buying houses at 3.1% interest that we don't have to sign personally on that we're going to have for 20, 30 years if we choose to. That's pretty amazing. 
Yep. And you're locking in that interest rate. I'm in the middle of trying to buy a personal house right now as well. Terrible timing to do so. But one of the things I'm looking for is where can I go find people with mortgages at like two and a half points or three points and just do a subject two where I can assume that loan. The bad part about that that you hear on the internet is this thing called a due on sale clause. Can you help educate our listeners on what the due on sale clause is and why we really shouldn't care about that? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. A couple of things. Due on sale just means that when the property is transferred, that the bank can contractually call that note due. Now, I'm not an attorney. I'm not an accountant. I'm telling you my experience. I always do that on the shows. My experience has been for 31 years and about 18 of them doing these, that I make the payments on time like I promised, just like you would for any other bank. And the bank's not in the business of taking property. They just want to get paid. I literally have had local banks that send us the note. They know where we are. They send us the bill. Just keep them paid. Now, number one. Number two, the Garmin St. Germain Act of like, I, I don't know, 1982 or something was set up so that people could transfer property internally in a family trust state, for example, and not trigger a due on sale. So we title the properties. This is just our choice. I'm not an attorney again, I'm giving you advice. Our choice is to title the property. If it was Matt, I would say 123 Jump Street, if that was the property, Matt, family trust, His last, your last name usually you'd use. And then I'm not saying that's a fail safe. I'm saying that's how we choose to do it. It just provides another layer of anonymity. And we do that in the land trust. So that's the sub two issue and, and sort of what I feel about the, the clause. Our senior attorney at a local firm here, very reputable, had to sit down the junior attorney, who now is an amazing attorney with us, but this is back in like 14, because he said, no, I can't do those. And the senior attorney who was very conservative, said to him, it is not a legal issue. It is a contractual issue. So we structured paperwork so that the seller signs and agrees to everything that they know they're exposed to. And that we've had never had an issue. That's a long, yeah. long answer. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, I haven't had as much experience as you have, but I've never seen really a bank go on the due on sale clause. And then when I was educating somebody about this the other day, they're like, but interest rates have gone up. And I'm like, you've got to think it from the bank's point of view. They can get a consistent payment or they can do the due on sale clause. You might have to refinance. And now all of a sudden they get the cash, but they don't have a consistent payment. And the banks are in the money of getting consistent payments, in my opinion. Yeah. And they got to, if you follow the banks, not you, if the banks foreclose, there's a legal process they have to follow. It's not cheap. And the attorneys love milking that. So let's just say it costs the bank 20 or 30 grand. Why would they do that? They wouldn't. They're not going to make that up for years and years and years. I know it sounds good in theory that the interest rates are higher, but that money's in use right now. What are they going to do? Take it back and sit on it? They're going to loan it out? Yes, but it costs 20, 30 grand. Yep. Yep. All right. The last one was the lease back strategy. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that strategy? Yeah, it's a lease purchase. So I would tie the same home up, presumably they'd be dead on it. So I'm going to tie the $500,000 home up that might, I'll keep it simple. Let's say there's a loan of 300000 Owner doesn't want to take less than five. Market's not giving it to him or her. So I say, okay, Mr. Mr. Seller, I will purchase your home for, I will guarantee the 200,000 equity you have, but here's how it's gonna work. I'm gonna buy your home at the end of the term for the remaining balance, it's 300 now, but it's gonna be lower then, so I benefit, and I'm gonna guarantee you 200 grand. So you're locking in your equity that the market's not giving you right now, perhaps, but you have to wait for it. As the market's shifting right now, it's a great strategy. Can't do it in Texas. Can't be in the middle of what we call a sandwich lease. Can't do the lease purchase with a seller and then do a rental with a buyer. Can't do that there. Everywhere else you can. 
But the other two strategies we talked about, Matt, I prefer anyway. And so our Texas students, I say, great, you got the two best I like, just do those. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Texas uh, doesn't have a ton of regulation, but this one little strategy they do. Well, because some idiot screwed it up years ago for us all, right? It's like in Illinois, you need a license now to do what we call an AO deal or wholesaling. Why? Because someone took advantage of it and messed everybody else up. It's just normal. Every industry has the idiots that run around like the Wild West, and then we get in trouble for it. Yeah. Now, I've heard you talk about this dispoing deals as a rent-to-own model. Do you find a majority of your deals, you actually dispo them as a rent-to-own or talk us through that a little bit? Yes. I'll give you the exception, then I'll talk about the rule. The exception is that house I talked about down Cape Cod that we bought sub two. The woman that went in was going through law school, had some dings on her credit, but she's since come out and she's a lawyer. And we said to her day one, if you can stay current and you can get your deposit up to like 20%, instead of rent to own, you'll never go to a bank. We'll transfer this into an own financing deal and we'll keep you in the house. We're going through that right now. We're putting her, we're selling her the house. So we're the bank. Now, that's not the norm. The norm is we put everybody in as a rent to own buyer. There's a huge distinction here, Matt. You probably already talked about it, but just for everyone's sake, there are right now publicly on YouTube and on podcasts, mentors, educators saying, yeah, we do rent to own. We just stick a buyer in the house. We don't care if they're going to cash out. In fact, we hope they don't because we're going to collect another payment and do it again for another buyer. Man, that's so awful morally and ethically. So my son, Nick, handles our buyers. We make sure if a buyer is going in that home for rent to own, they are a true buyer that just truly needed time to either fix their credit or get seasoning, the bank calls it, time because they might've been self-employed. And okay, so think about how big this market is. You have hundreds of thousands of people, individuals leaving corporate America to start their dream business. And they go to a bank and the bank goes, oh no, your new business, two years, I need proof of income. Okay, they come to us, that's a true buyer. They got a down payment, they just can't buy yet. Second thing, all the rates went up in, in 120 days. I know because my son and daughter, my daughter and son-in-law were looking for a home, they just bought one. The rate went from like low threes to six while they were looking. And so you just took another hundreds of thousands of buyers and put them on the sideline and said, okay, only kidding, you can't buy. Now we have all these buyers to help. All you gotta do is find properties now and the sellers are failing it because you just lost all the buyers. It's crazy opportunity right now. Yeah, when I started learning about rent to own, I was like, who would do this? And one of the best statements I heard out there is there's so many people that are unbankable for one reason or another. Oh, yeah. They're an entrepreneur, they have bad credit for something, they were something on their report that doesn't fit the bank's box. And this is an opportunity for someone to own a home. I don't think that's a terrible idea. If it works for them and it works for you, why not make it happen? Matt, I can't tell you how many buyers have tears in their eyes. They thought they were done. I can give you example after example. A recent one was, she owned a very successful salon. I won't say what town to expose her, but in a cash flowed really well. And she went through in vitro and they spent a hundred grand and put themselves in bankruptcy over this. Now they ended up successfully getting that done, but we ended up selling a home for them on terms and putting it into one of our homes on terms, half a million dollar home. And they since cashed out years ago. So good for them. They said, I thought I would never buy a home. And here's the punchline. She became a student and she's doing deals. Is that cool nice. or what? Yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, earlier in the conversation, you mentioned this idea of three paydays and I want to get into yep. that. So can you talk to us about what are the three paydays that you teach your students? Yep. Uh, we trademarked this federally. So it's pretty cool to unique to us. So when a buyer comes in that I talked about, like they have a true buyer, they have a down payment, that's payday one. It's non-refundable. It doesn't go in escrow. You're not a realtor. If you are, it's a different conversation. That's a great tool for you. But payday one is yours to keep. Payday two, 
is the difference between what you're paying on the underlying debt or the owner and what you're collecting from the buyer. That's going to be somewhere around $300 to $1,000. You might luck out on occasion, but that's roughly the averages. And then payday three is awesome because payday three is all the principal pay down for the whole term that we've been talking about, plus your markup. All three paydays for us in our market, Matt, total around 78 grand now, went up a little bit. Our students range from a low of 45,000 to a high of 250 and up, like in the high end areas like DC, California, some areas in Florida. So it's amazing. So that's why when we talk about people doing these deals, please understand this is not overnight ever. I was in real estate 18 years before I started doing this. It took me a little time. But if you're brand, 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 brand new, there'll be an on-ramp and it's okay because then you own it for life. You own the skill set for life. If you just do a couple homes a year, you'd be okay. Or your own home every five years. It's a skill set that everybody should learn. Yeah. And I think once you learn the creative finance or how to structure deals around creative terms of a deal, you can't see the world the same way again. Because everything that I see out there, I'm like, oh, how can I structure that so it's beneficial to them, but I'm out of pocket very little and I get the benefit of whatever it is, boats, planes, cars, houses, et cetera. Yeah. And you should, like you were looking for your own place. I did that. I, I searched real hard. I just couldn't get one in the, on the street. So I had to buy that cottage I talked about because it was near the water here. But yeah, I tried all the time. I look for family that way. I just try to buy it on terms. Yep. Yep. Chris, you're a guy that's been in the real estate business for a long time now. We're in a, a weird spot where mortgage rates have doubled the past 90 days as we're recording this. Home prices are higher than they've ever been. New construction starts are down. Just a just a weird time right now. Talk to us about how you're viewing the market, both as a residential owner, but also as an investor. Yeah. Well, to take off what we were saying earlier, to expand on it further rather, it's opportunity right now. Look, the market's always going to change, right? There's one thing for sure. And it wasn't, I didn't say this, but it's been said. There's one constant in real estate and that's, it's going to constantly change. So what then do you do? Do you sit in the sidelines? Like so many people I hear, oh, I'm just going to wait for it to come. No, you get really good at structuring deals like Matt and I have been bantering back and forth about so that when it does change or when there is chaos or when there is uncertainty, all of that's going on right now, by the way, with post pandemic, everything else. So when all that's happening, you go, yes, I can help a bunch of people. I can be the guide. And as a result, I'll get paid very well because I can help a lot of people. What you provide for value is going to be how you develop your wealth. And you get a major, major opportunity. So the only tweak we're doing, Matt, and the, the students caught on really well. We want to help them structure longer terms. We just teach them a little bit better scripts and comfort levels so we can get the norm being five years instead of the norm being three years. And it's just a conversation change and it's happening all over the community, which is pretty cool. It's just how we used to teach it. We used to teach a lease purchase, for example, 36 months. Now we're teaching different ways of extending that and then different ways of owning these things for 20 years if you want. There's a whole different advanced talk there, but we call it wealth stacking. We're in the midst of trademarking that, by the way, too. <laughs> there you go. Well, why the longer term? Well, because like my building, right, Matt, for 20 years, do you think I really care? My building is locked in where it is. And in 20 years, do you think I care what happens right now and next year and in three years and in four years? I don't. I could care less. The market can do whatever it wants to do. If I get 10 or 20 years, good. Let it do whatever it wants to do. You can always rent a place, like always. Yeah, I typically find in real estate, the times when you get caught speeding are because your timeline is too short. Like the market, I believe in real estate is always going to go up and to the right as long as you hold it long enough. I just can't tell you how long that has to be. 
And so the longer you can expand your timeline, the better position you're putting yourself in. And if market conditions don't change or if they're not as choppy as you expected, then you still have the option to get out of whether you want to sell it or dispo it or do whatever you want with it. There's always a pivot. I have a new student I talked to today, Kelly, and Kelly's right before coming into our community, owned several businesses, quite successful, multiple six-figure, if not seven-figure earner before she met us. And she's coming to our community at the highest level. And she said, what do I do with this flip? I'm stuck with it. I said, look, there's a, first of all, relax. There's always a pivot. So I said, try this first. And I won't get into all of a sudden I have, but then I said, that doesn't work. Next week, I want to talk to you. We're going to go to this plan. There's always a pivot. You don't have to panic in real estate once you know the creative side of it. Yep. Yep. I've heard you talk on your um, previous podcast about the benefits of coaching and making sure that you have guidance along the way. Can you talk to us a little bit about the things that you've learned through your 30 years of real estate? Well, as far as coaching connection? Yeah. Coaching or places where you stubbed your toe and you wish you would have known about it beforehand. Oh yeah. Well, there's a lot of those that could be another three hour show on the stub and the toes, but the biggest thing was why we're doing what we're doing now. And that was the 08 crash, Matt. And that was what we already talked about. I had been signed on personally to about 20 some odd properties. I talk about it in my book. And when the market went down, no fault of theirs, the bankers don't give a hoot. They're going to come knocking on your door, right? If metaphorically. So it's ugly. So you don't sign personally on loans unless it's for something personal. And if it is, it's low, 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 low LTV. I will tell you this broad statement instead of more and more of those stories. The coaching aspect, if I just had someone in 08 to go, hey, what do you think? I did, but it took me to about 2010 to find someone. And he made my stuff look absolutely minuscule compared to what he went through. Minuscule. He actually chuckled when I told him I thought my stuff was bad. So there's always someone that can show you the way. There's always someone that had it worse that can provide a lesson and success leaves clues. So don't go at it alone because then the mental game creeps in and you stop beating yourself up. I did that for four years. So there's always someone out there that can help you, always. Every step of our business as we grow and each individual in our company, we make them. We Part of our curriculum is what are you doing in this trimester to improve you? And then what are you doing from your company role? Because there's always somewhere that, somewhere else they can go if they seek help. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you're still out there doing deals as well. I mean, I think as we enter these weird times, choppy times, it's important for you to have your ear to the street and that you're actually out there doing deals so that you can come back to your group and say, hey, we just found this out in a contract, use this addendum, that sort of things in your agreements. That's exactly what we do. Spot on. I there. I mean, again, no names, but there's male and female trainers that have been out there for 15 to 30 something years. I see them. The fact is they haven't done a deal. And they haven't definitely haven't done deals since COVID. <laughs> I know that. So it's scary if you're listening to them or following them because the course is outdated, their information is outdated, and they don't know how to help you pivot. What they do know how to do, and I'm sorry, but this is a fact in the real estate training world, they're not a market. And as a result, you get people that go take a course and they never do a deal. Go take a course, never do a deal. I get the calls, trust me. Um, so our, our goal, what part of our mission is to help this transaction world go through we do that by interactive coaching, as you know, Matt, it's important. You got to, the fluffy stuff that you see at the seminar and the courses, that doesn't happen in real life. You're going to get curveballs, expect it, and then just go lean on someone and go, hey, what do I do? You already did that. What do I do? So, yep. Yep. Well, good stuff. I want to switch us now to our last round. We're calling this the five toppings. Our first one is, what is your favorite book or what's a book that you've read recently that's given you a paradigm shift? The latter question is easier because I shift my focus with what I want to do next, right? Chew Dog is, has been an amazing book. I did it both audible and written. I think it's that amazing. 
The Michael Dell's new book was amazing recently, very current. If you want to shift focus, uh, the last one I'll tell you is I'm reading Life Force right now. It's about 600 pages. Tony Robbins and a bunch of doctors. It's not rah-rah, it's medical. That's quite amazing and encouraging where that's all going. So those are the three that really, that last one, talk about paradigm shift, that'll open your head. Awesome. Awesome. Our second one is, I believe that the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the habits that you have and the things that you do every day. What are some mm. of the habits or the things that you do every day? It's funny. I was just talking to our partner. We took on a partner, Matt, that built the largest fitness brand in the world. And I had the luxury of just calling him. So this morning I called him. I said, are you there? He said, yeah, call me. It was 730 in the morning. We talked for 20 minutes. This guy has gone through like a lot. And I lean on things like that. And you're, I don't want to get off on a tangent. Your main focus, I answer you properly, was what on this one? Topping, which is uh, just the habits that you have every day yeah, and the so, things that right. you do every day. Sorry. Yeah. I was going to go off on a wrong tangent. So he said to me, Well, Chris, I just got done working out. I'm sure you, I know you do that very early, which I did like 4 30. He said, Because if we don't, our head's not straight. It's where we get our best thinking. So for me, it's working out or yoga. It's not necessarily everyday working out. You're working out or yoga, followed by, listening on my iPhone to my uh, future statements, which are just me talking about as if it's 12:31:22, And I play those, there's three files and I play them at least once, if not twice in the morning. And then I meditate guided meditation, five to 10 minutes. Those things will put me in the right space for the day. If I don't work out, I, I feel like all day I get to work out. Yeah. I'm definitely an early riser and early worker outer too. So exerciser, worker outer, one of the two, but yeah, I like I to work her out of it. Worker outer. We're, we're trademarking it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Our third one is what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Again, that's going to be like time sensitive, meaning what stage in my life I'm at. I would say what launched this business, uh, grew it, I should say, because anybody can do deals, but what grew it to the stage it's at now is someone suggesting to me and I should have known, but seek out instead of sales and marketing at that time, seek out a, a group, coaching group that will allow you to scale from seven, eight figures. And we did that. And to this day, we're still with them and it's been instrumental. So it's not one piece, it's go this direction and it changed the course of our business forever. So that's why I try to help our students do the exact same thing. Yeah. You are the, per- the five people that you hang out with the most. hundred percent. Our fourth one is what's the thing that you're most proud of in your life? Probably the family in the biz, people look at it and we have office visits or associates come in and sit with us and really see us. And they all come out and they're going, oh, you really are with the family all day. Like they think it's just a bunch of fluff and they're just blown away because we operate, you know, in, in unison and there's no battles. It's just a lot of fun. And I love hanging out with who else to hang out with all day. Right. And the second is the experience that we can create for our, my, I have two grandkids, two and a half and four and a half. So the experiences that we can create with them now, because we built a business that provides that. Yeah. There's a book by Stephen Covey talks about the speed of trust. And I feel like with family, there's no other speed of trust example than that. Right. I agree. I agree. Our last one is if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? I could pick any president just because what they go through is unfathomable to me, the stress. And whether this pisses off people or not, it's not political. I'm not political anyway, but I would like to do that with Trump and listen to just listen to what's in his brain that's my answer. So it's not a political statement. Please don't (laughs) take offense that that would be a cool conversation. Yeah. I think you're right. Every single president goes through a tremendous amount of stress in that role. And the, the whole thing where you can see it on their face is a true statement because watching them go through that every single day must be really tough. Yeah. And he's not the only entrepreneur. So I could have picked anyone, right? I would rather go with instead of a life, a lifetime politician would be very interesting. They still have the stress. 
But I kind of wanted to get that twist. There's been many of them, politician and business person. That's cool to yeah. listen to. Yeah. Well, Chris, fantastic conversation. I've been listening to your stuff for years. I love this idea of creative financing, specifically as we go into 2023 here. If our listeners wanted to reach out to you, get part of your community, where's the best place we could point them? Well, appropriate to you, the name of your podcast, we created a link. It's going to give, when they go to this link, it's not one of those, hey, get my free book and then put your credit card in for shipping, because I think that's bogus. It's go to this link, put your, your address and we will ship you at our cost. Cost is about 18 or 20 bucks. Two best-selling books, maybe some other goodies, and just give it seven to 10 days, right? Go to wickedsmartbooks.com forward slash ice cream, wickedsmartbooks.com forward slash ice cream. That's for the free information. I know a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to wait 10 days. So on there, you could also start with the electronic for free. I'm big on free Mac because I don't want people, if they're not serious about doing what we do, you can sit through a master's class of mine. It's an hour. It's free. I promise you it's a lot of content. You'll decide if you want to look further or not. Just go to smartrealestatecoach.com forward slash master's class. It'll give you A through Z. Perfect. We will leave those links in the show notes. Chris, thanks for coming on. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Great job. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.